Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Or let's talk about reproductive systems and hormones and the anterior pituitary and the endometrium and the epididymis. I almost, I almost said the fun stuff. But let's be honest, this stuff is not the fun part of the reproductive system. But this stuff is important to know and to understand. Welcome to The Selfie Life. Thank you so much for listening. If you have questions or comments or corrections, any of the above, please let me know. The best way to reach me is either on the website, selfielife.com, or on my Insta, which is This Selfie Life. On the website, I have the script notes from all of the episodes, so if you want to print those out and use them to aid in your studying, the transcripts are available under the episodes on the website. And follow me on Insta. I am trying to post MCAT prep questions on my story every morning, and I will let you know when a new episode drops. But if you subscribe, they will be automatically downloaded for your listening pleasure. And please tell your friends about this podcast. I know that in my group of friends, we're always telling each other what we like, what we're listening to, what resources are out there. So if you love your friends, (laughs) tell them about this podcast. This episode does have sexual health material, so this is your warning. We are going to be talking about penises and vaginas. One last side note before we jump in, this episode is about biological sex and not necessarily gender expression. Anyway, let's get down to business, that is, and the reproductive system. You guys, I'm going to try not to do a ton of sex puns, but as I was writing this episode, everything, everything sounded like a sexual innuendo. So sorry, not sorry. (laughs) Bear with me. Okay. The reproductive system includes sex organs and parts of our brains. We are going to start with males because they are easy. (laughs) This is going to be hard. (laughs) No, but really. In my opinion, the male reproductive system and hormones are pretty straightforward. So we are going to start with males and then graduate up to the females. Along with what we usually think of as reproductive duties, creating sperm and eggs, the reproductive system is also responsible for producing hormones. Because these hormones come from our reproductive system, they are dubbed our sex hormones. Sex starts in the brain. The sex organs are controlled by the brain, specifically the hypothalamus and the anterior pituitary. The hypothalamus is really important. I think of the hypothalamus as an air traffic controller. And what do air traffic controllers do? Air traffic controllers sit up in their tower and they watch everything that is going on. If a plane is taking a long time on the landing strip, the air traffic controller tells an incoming plane, take a few circles, hang on, so that it can avoid any sort of accidents or crashes. The hypothalamus does the same thing. It sits up in the brain and monitors what is going on in the body. And then it gives directions. If it sees something is straying too far from homeostasis, it tells it to hold up, bring it back. 
the hypothalamus regulates body temperature, appetite, physiological cycles, and sexual behavior. I mean, that's just to name a few. We will talk more in detail about the hypothalamus later, but I wanted to introduce it because it has a really important role in homeostasis and thus health. And we want to be doctors, so we really, we want to know about health and we want to keep our patients healthy. But right now, we will just talk about the hypothalamus's role in regards to the reproductive system. And just so we're clear, the hypothalamus is bossy, just like a good air traffic controller. You don't want an air traffic controller that waffles back and forth whether a runway is clear for a plane to land. The hypothalamus bosses the body around by releasing hormones. In the reproductive system, the hypothalamus releases gonadotropin-releasing hormone, a.k.a. GnRH. The GnRH goes to the anterior pituitary through some blood vessels, and these guys are neighbors, so it really doesn't have a very long way to travel. You know when you were a kid and your mom sent you next door for something, like you had to go borrow an egg or take the neighbor a plate of cookies? This is what GnRH does. It is sent to its neighbor, the anterior pituitary, to deliver a message. Physiologically, the anterior pituitary actually sits right below the hypothalamus, and they have special blood vessels that are connecting them. The anterior pituitary, in response to the GnRH, releases luteinizing hormone, aka LH, and follicle-stimulating hormone, FSH. It is these two hormones from the anterior pituitary LH and FSH, that affect the male and female sex organs. Now let's talk about males specifically. (laughs) In a nutshell, the male reproductive system, in a nutshell. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. I'll stop. I'll I'll try to stop. So male sex organs include the testes and the penis. The testes are super important because the testes are where the sperm form. And the penis, which is used to deliver the sperm... These are the major male reproductive organs. In the testes, two major things need to occur. Sperm needs to be made, and the testosterone needs to be secreted. Let's take a closer look at the testes and spermatogenesis. This will be a bit of a review. If you haven't listened to the cell cycle mitosis and meiosis episode, you might want to check out that episode first. It goes deeper into meiosis and the formation of haploid cells which in males are sperm. Did you guys know that the technical plural name for sperm is spermatozoon? So spermatozoa is singular and spermatozoon is the plural. I didn't know that until I was fact-checking for this episode. Anyway, back to business. In males, sperm are made through a process called spermatogenesis. You guys, genesis. Anytime you hear see, read, Genesis, think the origin of formation of something. So Genesis in the Bible talks about the forming of the earth. Just just a little side note. I'm not saying that this is how the earth was formed. I'm saying that the book of Genesis in the Bible is about the formation of something. So they called it Genesis. So spermatogenesis will be the formation of sperm And this occurs in the testes, specifically in the seminiferous tubules. We pronounce the word like semi-niferous, but it's spelled S-E-M-I-N, 
which is the Latin word for semen. You guys, it's literally one letter off from how we spell semen today. The really great thing about a lot of medical names and medical terms is they literally name it after what it does. Just in Latin or Greek. So learning your root words and or looking just super closely at a word, if you're taking the test and you're like, oh, what is this? I don't know what this means. Take a breath, take a second, look at the word and break it down and it will tell you a lot about what they are asking. Okay, in the testes, in the seminiferous tubules, which are super convoluted, by the way, is where the formation of haploid sperm takes place. All right, pop quiz. This is from episode one. How are haploid sex cells created? Answer, through meiosis. Let's start with the external sex organ and zoom in. So we have the scrotum, which is where the testes are located. The testes have the seminiferous tubules where haploid sperm are made. Along with the seminiferous tubules, we also have the interstitial cells of Leydig. These cells are where testosterone is made. The cells of Leydig are just on the outside of the seminiferous tubules. <laughs> Whoa, scrotum, where did that come from? You haven't mentioned the scrotum yet, Nikayla. If you're studying for the MCAT, I'm going to assume you're an adult. And as an adult, I'm pretty sure that every one of you knows exactly what the scrotum is. The scrotum is the external pouch that's hanging out literally where sperm production takes place. Sperm production in the testes has to be at a certain temperature, which just so happens to be a little bit cooler than body temperature, so they literally hang outside the body as to not get too hot. I'm not going to lie, the first time I heard the physiological reason why testes were outside the body, my mind was kind of blown, and I was like, finally, oh my gosh, finally, it all makes sense. Why, why that thing is just, you know, hanging out there. So what happens when it's cold out? What happens when you, you know, you get a little chilly? I'm pretty sure I heard you all say shrinkage. But why is this all happening? Specifically, we're talking right now specifically about the testes. Why is this happening? So the body always wants to maintain that homeostasis. If it's too cold, the muscles will contract to raise the testes to maintain the proper temperature for sperm development. In addition to the spermatogenesis, what is another important function of the testes? The creation of the major male hormone, testosterone. You all, you all knew that answer. I know you did. Male's major sex hormone that is produced in the testes is testosterone. Testosterone is the most important male androgen. Testosterone has a lot of responsibilities. It helps men maintain libido, it helps in muscle and bone growth, and it is responsible for secondary sex characteristics like facial hair and deep voices. Testosterone is produced by the interstitial cells of Leydig. And I know you're like, oh gosh, freak. How are we going to remember that? And now, man, you're going you're gonna to have to forgive me for this one. So how I remember it is... Men lie and dig themselves into holes with these lies. I know, you guys, I know. I know not all men lie and dig themselves into holes, but come on. That was pretty low-hanging fruit. 
<laughs> oh gosh. You guys, when I wrote that, that was not supposed to be a sexual reference at all, especially to the scrotum, because we're talking about this right now. But everything can have a dirty meaning if you try hard enough. Okay. Let's take it from the top. And by the top, I mean the brain. The LH from the anterior pituitary travels through the blood to the testes and enters the interstitial space and hooks up with the Leydig cells. And the Leydig cells, they secrete some testosterone. The testosterone enters the blood and influences the masculine traits. Air quotes, masculine traits, we've already mentioned. It also has some influence on the production of sperm in the seminiferous tubules. If testosterone levels get too high, there is a negative feedback loop with the anterior pituitary. So the anterior pituitary senses these high levels and stops producing LH, which is what stimulated testosterone production in the first place. I'll draw a little picture and add that to the script notes that I post on the website. Also, just a little side note here. We'll go more into it in the embryogenesis episode. But testosterone in the womb pushes the reproductive organs to turn into masculine organs, which will be super important. But again, we will talk about that in the embryogenesis episode. Okay, so the LH and FSH from the anterior pituitary travel to the testes through the blood. In the testes, LH will enter the interstitial space. And here the LH targets the Leydig cells, which secrete testosterone and the FSH will act on the Sertoli cells in the seminiferous tubules. I want to go into a little bit more detail about the spermatogenesis process and make sure that you understand how the sperm-specific vocab lines up with what you already understand about meiosis. But to do this, I find it helpful if you first can imagine a visual of where spermatogenesis is taking place. Imagine a wheel. Think of a wheel, like an old-school wagon wheel. It has the rim and the spokes that go to the center. If you don't know what an old-school wagon wheel looks like, imagine an old-school bike wheel that's just massive and made out of wood. My gosh, that wasn't supposed to be a joke. Okay, back to the wheel. The wagon wheel is a really, really loose interpretation of what a cross-section of the seminiferous tubules look like. The outside of the wheel, the rim, there is actually a smooth layer of muscle that helps move sperm along through peristalsis and pushes it and helps move it into the epididymis. The wedges that make up the wheel's negative space that you're imagining in your mind, the negative space are actually the Sertoli cells. Now, the spokes that go into the center, these are where the sperm actually develop, along and on these spokes between the two Sertoli cells. So the sperm starts its development at the rim and moves down the spoke, getting taken care of by the Sertoli cells as they move towards the center of the will. The center of the will is the lumen, which will carry them onto their next stop in their journey. Just a reminder that peristalsis is a type of coordinated contraction. It's a wave-like movement that pushes the contents forward. Remember how I mentioned that the FSH acts on the Sertoli cells? The FSH stimulates androgen-binding protein, ABP, released from the Sertoli cells. And ABP is what promotes the synthesis of spermatozoa. 
But in order for the Sertoli cells to make the androgen-binding protein, the Sertoli cells must have FSH and testosterone present. So think of a, what are those boxes called, like at the bank? Crap. You know what I'm talking about, the lock boxes? Are they lock boxes? Security deposit boxes. I had to stop and think about it for a second. Security deposit boxes, at least in the movies, they need the two keys to unlock, you know, to get all the money or the clue out to solve the murder or whatever. The deposit boxes, they need the two keys. So the two keys in this scenario are FSH and testosterone. So the Sertoli cell is the box. The FSH and testosterone are the keys. And the ABP is the treasure inside of the box, which in this case, ooh, let's have it be a full ride medical school scholarship. Yeah, <laughs> that's the real prize. Sertoli cells also produce inhibin, which, as the name hints at, inhibits something. So inhibin will travel up to the brain and tell it to stop releasing so much FSH which will decrease sperm development. It's another type of feedback loop. And in females, inhibin has a really important role, and we'll talk about it more. I think by now, you guys probably realize I have terrible ways to remember things. But here's another one, and don't judge me too much. How are we going to remember Sertoli cells? Sertoli. That just sounds Italian, doesn't it? It's because it is. Enrico Sertoli discovered the cells in the 1800s while he was studying medicine. And the line that came to mind was, at least buy me dinner first. Possibly Italian. Because his name is Italian. And we're talking about reproductive organs. Come on, you guys. You can remember it that way, right? Sertoli cells, sperm development. Got it? You got it. In spermatogenesis, the diploid 2N cells are called spermatogonia. So these are the starting stem cells in sperm formation. The spermatogonia cells are the cells that will produce the haploid sperm. The spermatogonia cells also need to make sure that there will always be spermatogonia cells to make more sperm. I mean, men make several million sperm every single day for most of their lives. So having spermatogonia cells is really important. They're kind of necessary. So what these cells do is they undergo mitosis. One of the daughter cells will become another spermatogonium cell, and the other will move down the meiosis pathway. So it's always making one to replace itself. But let's stop and think about this. If the seminiferous tubules are roughly shaped like a will, and the process of maturation starts at the rim, and as it matures, it works its way to the center of the will. Where will the spermatogonium cells be located? That's right. They are located near the rim. Spermatogonium are just hanging out in interphase, and they start going through the stages of interphase. You guys remember these, right? G1, S, G2, meiosis. So the S phase is where they replicate their genetic material. So the spermatogonia will go from spermatogonia to primary spermatocytes once they've replicated their genetic material. Then G2, and finally meiosis. Just a quick note. At first I was like, why, why would they change the name of a cell just after replicating its DNA? Like, 
It hasn't done any sort of division. This is stupid. This is cheating. Why name it something else? And it's because the primary spermatocytes go through a physical barrier. There's actually a tight junction. So once its DNA is replicated, it now has a ticket and can pass through the security gate, essentially, just like at the airport. Understanding the anatomy here helped me to visualize and understand the difference in the names, so I thought it might help you as well. The primary spermatocytes then undergo meiosis one and become secondary spermatocytes. So now they are haploid, N. So we just finished meiosis one, and we now have secondary spermatocytes. And I thought this would be a perfect opportunity to throw in a couple of meiosis quiz questions. So question one, where does crossing over occur? Answer, prophase one of meiosis one. Follow-up question, what is pole to opposite poles during anaphase one? Homologous pairs. If you couldn't answer these two questions within a second or two, go give meiosis a quick review. The secondary spermatocytes then undergo meiosis too and become spermatids. Remember, these are haploid. The little spermatids undergo some further maturing and are then called spermatozoa. I remember that spermatids come before spermatozoa in the naming convention because you know how in Spanish they add diminutives to words like ito and ita? So at some point I added it to spermatid. So it's spermatito. Get it? So they are diminutive, like they are small. Seriously, say it out loud. Spermatito. If anyone gives you a weird look, just tell them you're learning Spanish and they will automatically think you are super cool. Spermatito. <laughs> you guys, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not really though. So the diminutive word or the diminutive form would come before the more mature form of spermatozoa or spermatozoon. Another question for you guys, another quiz question. How many chromosomes does a spermatid have? 23. <laughs> you guys are so smart. Good job. Remember that with meiosis, we can end with four cells that have the haploid number of chromosomes. And spermatogenesis for sperm result for each spermatogonium. <sighs> that was a lot. You guys did a really good job. Let's go through it one more time really quick. Here we go. Spermatogenesis. So spermatogonia are the stem cells. They live in the seminiferous tubules in the testes. Once the genetic info has been replicated in the S phase of interphase, it develops into a primary spermatocyte. Once it completes meiosis one, it is now a secondary spermatocyte. The secondary spermatocyte undergoes meiosis two, and then it develops into a spermatid and then matures into a spermatozoa. Spermatogonia, to me, kind of sounds like Patagonia, which, yes, is a clothing brand that one of my brothers is super into, but it is also a region at the bottom of South America, and for some reason my brain accepts this as a way to remember that the starting cells of spermatogenesis sound super familiar to a region at the bottom of South America. So it's like the bottom and the top makes it sandwich. So that's how I originally remembered spermatogonia. Primary spermatocytes, you guys, that's easy. It's first in the order. It's primary. Secondary spermatocytes, because it's second. Spermatids, remember we talked about it, spermatito, which is like the little baby sperm before they mature into spermatozoa or spermatozoon, 
and are all grown up and ready for their journey. Remember, all of this is happening in the testes in the highly coiled seminiferous tubules, where there are also Sertoli cells, good job, that are helping to facilitate the formation of spermatozoa. There is a little flowchart of all of this on the website, and I'll, I'll try to post it on Insta too. For me, drawing out this flowchart really helped line up the general steps of meiosis with the specific words of sperm and egg production. If you have a minute, try lining those up without looking at anything. That really helped me to get a firm grasp on the vocab words. Now that we have sperm, let's talk about the path the sperm takes through the male reproductive system. When I originally learned this pathway, I was taught the mnemonic 7-Up. I'm betting that this mnemonic is actually the same one that a lot of you learned. It's an oldie, but a goodie. So let's review 7-Up. Actually, you know what? Did you guys ever play the game, Heads Up 7-Up? I remember when I was in kindergarten, I actually cheated, and I looked at the person's shoe who pushed my thumb down, and I was traumatized, and I promised myself I would never, ever cheat at Heads Up 7-Up again. But anyway, I digress. 7-Up. S, seminiferous tubules, where the sperm are nourished by Sertoli cells. E, epididymis. This is where the sperm can further develop. They gain mitochondria and develop flagella, and it's also where they are stored. V, the vas deferens. It's also sometimes called the dectus deferens, which is the muscle around the vas deferens. The vas deferens carries sperm from the epididymis to the ejaculatory duct. E is ejaculatory duct. The ejaculatory ducts fuse to form the urethra. Up to this point, there have been two of everything, one on each side. The N, N stands for nothing, like literally nothing. Just ignore the N. U, urethra, and P, penis. A little anatomy for you guys. The sperm drains out of the epididymis and into the ductus deferens. Actually, the end of the epididymis forms the vas deferens, aka the ductus deferens. It is the vas deferens, but you will hear it both ways, so I am going to use it a little bit interchangeably here. The vas deferens is the tube that goes from the posterior of the testes. It goes up, it penetrates the inguinal canal, then enters the pelvic cavity and brings the sperm to the posterior side of the bladder. The seminal vesicle, these are at the base of the bladder and they are considered accessory glands. The seminal vesicle and the ductus deferens form the ejaculatory ducts. The ejaculatory duct ejects sperm into the male urethra. The prostate gland surrounds the prostatic urethra, so the ejaculatory ducts join the urethra just below the bladder where the prostate surrounds it. This part of the urethra is known as the prostatic urethra, which totally makes sense. The prostate is also considered an accessory gland, and the fluid it secretes goes into the prostatic urethra. The bulbal urethral glands are directly under the prostate, and its secretions empty into the urethra. The urethra passes through the penis, carrying the semen. You guys, I'm not going to lie. That was a lot. And I actually stopped and listened to it and thought it was maybe too much to take in while just listening. So I decided to add one more little review of the anatomy. And we're going to relate it to a water slide. Well, actually, I was thinking a water slide, but then I decided that a roller coaster might actually work better. But I liked the water slide idea 
So I settled on a water roller coaster. Hold on tight, because this might be a little bit of a wild ride. Let's set the stage. So here we are at our favorite theme park. And we're waiting in the forever long lines that all of the rides have. And I don't know about you, but I actually like to play Ellen's heads up game while I'm waiting in line for roller coasters. So we're playing heads up just to pass the time. And this line, it is super convoluted and it's just weaving. It weaves back and forth. And you guessed it, we are in the seminiferous tubules right now. This is the seminiferous tubules where the sperm production takes place. We finally get up to where they are loading the roller coaster cars and making sure everybody has their seatbelts that are securely fastened. This loading zone is the epididymis. Remember, the epididymis is where sperm mature. So the end of the epididymis forms into the vast deferens. And just like any good roller coaster, the first part is usually a huge climb, right? It's the big hill you climb at the beginning of the roller coaster. This is the vast deferens. Physiologically, this structure ascends the posterior structure of the testes. So we're in a roller coaster, we're going up a huge hill, and on the climb, we're going to go through just a little tunnel. This tunnel is the inguinal canal. When we come out of the inguinal canal, we are in the pelvic cavity. And now we can see the top of like the crest of the climb. We're coming up to it. And it's going to loop over and around the urinary bladder. We are at the top of the roller coaster and our hands go up and our stomachs drop and we're getting ready to scream. And the drop happens. And the drop is happening at the posterior side of the bladder. Just after we drop, there is a canning gush of water. Because remember, we are on a water roller coaster. The water smashes into our car from the side and drenches everyone in the car, even the people that are trying to keep their hair dry, because there is no escape on this roller coaster. Everyone is coming out drenched. The first water cannon that we encountered is the seminal vesicles. We have now almost made like a complete loop-de-loop, but then the car all of a sudden takes another smaller plunge. This second plunge is the ejaculatory duct. But wait, there is another twist to this roller coaster. Another car joins yours, and you're going to continue the rest of the roller coaster with people that were waiting in another line, in another area of the park. So all of a sudden, you guys are stuck together. And as you are staring in shock at the other people that are now sitting next to you in your car, you plunge into a tunnel. This tunnel is really dark. And there are water jets and they're spraying you from all the different angles. Ugh. This second tunnel is the prostate gland. And the track turns into the prostatic urethra while you're in the tunnel. Right as we get out of the tunnel, we get blasted again. You guessed it. And this time, by the bulbal urethral glands. And then, you know, we shoot through the penis. Which concludes the roller coaster portion of this presentation. I'm not going to lie. I wrote that when it was really, it was the middle of the night. And I'm, it, it might work and it might just be a catastrophe. But there it is, your roller coaster. Okay, back to regular anatomy. In males, the urinary and reproductive tract share a common pathway. This is not the case for females. I mentioned three accessory glands in passing. 
These glands provide sperm with things that they need on this expedition. Ex- expedition? Exit? Podition? Never mind. It didn't really work. Sorry. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Sorry about that one. All of the accessory glands are adding fluid to the sperm. That's what the accessory glands do. They add fluid to the sperm. The seminal vesicles contribute fluid to the sperm. They actually contribute about 60% of semen volume. The fluid here is alkaline to help protect the sperm from the acidic environment of the urethra as well as the female reproductive tract. The seminal vesicle fluid is also very rich in fructose, and this is for the sperm to use for energy on their journey. Remember that semen is sperm plus fluid. The prostate gland makes prostatic fluid, so it's just adding some more fluid. The last of the accessory glands is the bulbal urethral gland, and it's also sometimes called Cowper's gland. This gland adds lubricant that helps lubricate the urethra. Now that we know how and where the sperm are produced, let's talk about the sperm themselves. I think everyone knows what sperm look like. They have really big heads. The heads carry the genetic information. And then they actually have a little hat on top of their head, which is called the acrosome. And it helps in ovum penetration. And it's not like a top hat. It's it's actually more of like a beanie. And on the opposite side from where they're wearing their hat is the tail, a.k.a. the flagellum. The part of the tail closest to the head is called the connecting piece. And this is where the mitochondria are located. And then after that piece, you have a really long tail, which helps them to swim and move about. Because the sperm have a long way to swim, they are going to need a lot of energy, which means they are going to have a lot of mitochondria. Something that I actually find kind of cool is that sperm don't donate mitochondria to the egg, and thus the embryo. This is because the mitochondria are located at the spot where the tail meets the head, and the genetic information is in the head. So very few, if any, mitochondria are from dad, which means a couple of things. If someone has inherited a mitochondrial disease, it's probably coming from mom. Also, theoretically, there is a mitochondrial Eve. Google that in your spare time. It's actually, it's kind of cool. Oh my gosh, you guys. You made it. Let's do let's do a quick wrap-up really quick. Okay. The reproductive system is controlled by the brain, the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus releases gonadotropin-releasing hormone, GnRH. GnRH goes to its neighbor, the anterior pituitary, and the anterior pituitary releases two hormones, luteinizing hormone and follicle-stimulating hormone. These two hormones, they go to the testes. LH acts on the interstitial cells of Leydig to secrete testosterone. FSH acts on the Sertoli cells that aid in the development of sperm. Sperm take the 7-up pathway during ejaculation. Sperm contain a head, a midpiece, and a flagellum. The head is where the genetic material is stored, and it is covered by a beanie, a.k.a. an acrosome, which helps the sperm penetrate the ovum. The midpiece is where all the ATP is generated. And the flagella is how the little guys swim. (laughs) You guys, we made it. So originally, I really wanted to keep these relatively short, between 20 and 30 minutes. I know this one is longer. And I am definitely splitting the reproductive system into male and female. So 
check out the next episode where we will talk about the female reproductive system. If you guys are listening to this and if you've made it to this point, I want to genuinely thank you. Seriously, thank you so much for listening. The thought of other people out there listening kind of makes <laughs> kind of makes it all worth it. Please subscribe, leave comments, recommend this podcast to your friends. Let me know if you have any suggestions or just general comments. Get in touch. Hit me up on Instagram. Check out the next episode for the female reproductive system. Study hard, friends, and do me just a little a little teeny favor and listen to Let's Talk About Sex by Salt and Peppa. Okay, thanks. Bye.